it's just a poor choice. <laughs> blue tile is blue tile. I totally agree with you. You know, maybe everything else goes like super clean, but I just feel like if you attempt to paint the tile, you're going to be sad in the long run. It's going to, it will perhaps motivate you to do the permanent work more quickly. Okay. Well, exactly that. And that's what I, that's why I called. I, I, I just wasn't sure if, if there was some miracle cure that I, you know, hey, this works great or not. And, um, I am, trying my best at decorating around, but um, the pink, yes, has worked better than the blue. At least we solved half the problem, Christine. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Heading out to New Jersey where John has some issues going on in the attic. Tell us about it. I have uh, the breather up on top of my roof. Um, it leaks, comes down into the attic, and I have a little container up there and Sometimes I don't get up there in time, and it's kind of messing up my ceiling. Well, that's not good. Well, I've gone up there, and I've had that can of, uh, I forget what you call it, you spray it, it's like a rubber or whatever. I've sprayed all around the metal flashing, and um, it's still leaking. I don't see any holes anywhere else. There's no missing shingles. I don't know what else it could be. Okay, so let me just clar- clarify for me, when you when you call this an attic breather or vent, what are we talking about? Is it a square hole in your roof? With a with a vent over it is the is it a is it a ridge vent that goes down the peak of the roof, or are you talking about the plumbing vent that comes up through the roof? No, it's almost up in the uh, about midway. Um, there's one on one side of the roof and one on, and one on the other. Okay, so it's a square vent, right? And there's no the opening is is it's 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 on an angle, but I don't know if it's enough of an angle when the wind when the wind drives the rain in a certain direction. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You may have some wind driven rain in here. Um, and what my advice would be to you is you have a ridge that goes down sort of the, like a peak of the roof that goes down uh, the middle of the house? No, it goes across. It runs um, horizontally. What kind of roof style do you have? Is this like a standard colonial house or what is it, a ranch? Small ranch. Okay. So here's here's what I would do. You may very well be getting wind-driven rain inside that. What I might suggest is that's actually not the best kind of vent and there's an opportunity for you to improve your ventilation here in your attic space, which will actually make it cooler in the summertime uh, and drier in the wintertime, which makes your insulation more effective. And to do that, what I would do is I would remove those square vents, patch the hole, uh, and re-shingle over that. And I would replace that with a ridge vent that goes down most of the peak of the roof. The ridge vent's not likely to, to leak if it's properly installed and that will open up that space to more ventilation, which will have the benefits that we talked about. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's my next project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right. Now we've got Sue from Ohio on the line. Welcome to the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Um, yes. We had a wooden wheelchair ramp built for my father, and it was the treated lumber, and wanted an idea or what product we could use to kind of keep the ice and the snow off of there without damaging the wood. You know, there are different types of salts that can be effective as to prevent snow and ice. What you want to do, though, is make sure that you not use sodium chloride or rock salt. You want to use calcium chloride. Calcium chloride is less corrosive. Uh, it has less of an impact on plants and on pets, uh, but does just as good a job of keeping the snow and the ice off. What I would suggest is you take this calcium chloride and you mix it up with uh, with playground sand, the kind of sand that you might put like in a sandbox, 
and create sort of a mixture that you can keep handy so that whenever you do get a little bit of ice and snow, you can uh, spread the salt sand mixture down and, and keep that ramp clear. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, good luck with that project, Sue. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, Money Pit. William's on the line with a gutter question. What's going on at your money pit? Hi. We recently purchased a home that is surrounded by a lot of pine trees. So I'm getting a lot of pine needles on my roof and in my gutters, and it's only been a few weeks, and already I'm tired of climbing up there to clean them. Do you have any suggestions for keeping them off the roof and keeping the gutters flowing? Well, we can't fight gravity, so you're going to always have them on your roof. Um, I will give you a couple suggestions. First of all, as you probably know, there's a wide range of gutter covers out there. 
And the type that are sort of screen-like are the type that are most likely to clog uh, because the, 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 the pine needles will lay across the top that get stuck in there. Um, and you'll just be very miserable. What I think the best type is the ones that are, are continuous gutter covers that go all across the top of the gutter where the pine needles have a chance to actually wash over the top and let the water fall in through the principles of surface tension. Now, the bad news is that those are expensive. They're so expensive that you may find that re- removing your traditional 4-inch gutters and replacing them with 6-inch gutters, which will not clog with pine needles because everything is much bigger, the throats for the downspouts are bigger, the gutters are bigger, they can take more water, more flow, might be uh, the best way to go. So that's kind of your option. I would either use a gutter cover that covers the entire top of the gutter, or I would take out the 4-inch gutters and I would put in 6-inch gutters, which is what I did at my house, uh, and just never look back. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Kayla in Iowa, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Just got married and moved into a new home, and it already had a Honeywell whole home humidifier installed in it. And um, it seemed like a dream come true. I thought it was going to be amazing. But um, we have 100-amp service, and every now and then our breaker will trip. And um, you don't even know downstairs unless you're down there. And um, I've gone down a couple times, and the basement is flooded. And it floods, like, um, over into the other room like into the where I eventually want to lay carpet and have like a family room. Is that because the dehumidifier uh, condensate pump stops working? I'm not sure what it is. There's like an overfill um, thing for it, and I'm assuming it's supposed to lead to a drain, but the drain is in um, the laundry room, which is in the opposite direction. Okay, so when everything is working correctly, this dehumidifier is going to take moisture out of the air, drop it into a reservoir, which you either have to empty or it will pump out somewhere. Usually, if it's got a condensate pump associated with it, it can pump up sort of against gravity, and there's a clear plastic tube that goes out and leads to a drain somewhere or even outside the house. If you have a power failure, you know, it's not going to work, um, and it might um, actually start to leak maybe back into that room where you are. Of course, the dehumidifier is not working at that time, so it's not going to leak for long, but I could see how it could create a bit of a puddle. So your problem is not so much with the dehumidifier, but why you're having a problem uh, popping these breakers. Now, the 100 amp service is, uh, service is actually a pretty darn good service, and it, it frequently doesn't get the respect it deserves. When these breakers pop, it's not usually because you're pulling more than 100 amps. It's because whatever circuit you have on this particular dehumidifier on is uh, needs to be improved, perhaps by adding an additional circuit. But the service for the house should be fine. Okay. Um, it does have a clear hose that leads outside. That's what's going on. When your power goes out, the pump stops working, and that's why it's leaking. Okay? So focus on getting uh, this plugged into a circuit that is a little bit bigger than what you have right now. An electrician could, could help you sort this out, but it's not a big deal to add an additional circuit just for that device. All right. Sounds good. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, there's a new trend that window manufacturers are telling us about that is pretty interesting. They are seeing a big uptick in the purchase of privacy windows and in particular transom windows. 
Now, if you're wondering what a transom window is, you've probably only seen them in old movies because they were common in the days before air conditioning. We're talking about those tilt-in windows that are typically above interior doors. Now, these were there to help air circulate with that door closed before air conditioning was common. And they're very popular in baths and showers to provide light and privacy. But builders now are coming up with other very creative applications, one of which is to add transom windows on top of the wall cabinets in kitchens. They deliver a ton of light to that space and really cuts down the amount of electrical light that you need as a result. Certainly during those darker winter days, it really brightens it up. So if you're thinking about updating your kitchen uh, in the coming months ahead, think about how you might add some of these transom lights up high on the wall to add natural light to that space. Alan, New York has a roofing question. What can we do for you? Wondering, uh, since my roof blew away, what's the progress on the uh, solar-powered roof singles? You say your roof blew away. What happened, Al? Uh, well, it's old. It's old, like 40-year-old asphalt on top of cedar shingles and a little storm here and there. We got $18 from FEMA. Okay. <laughs> we got 8000 8000 from the insurance company, which is owned by the bank. All right. Well, listen, at least you got something towards it. But listen, if you're if you're asking me, are solar shingles uh, to the point now where I would recommend them, my answer would be no. I think there's solar panels that I'm very comfortable with. But solar shingles, uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about their durability and their longevity. And every time I've evaluated them and seen them at, say, uh, you know, building trade expos and things like that, I found that the warranties on these things don't even come close to the warranty on an average roof. So I'm concerned about how long they're going to last and and what it would take to replace them. They're very, very expensive as well. So um, I'm not um, a proponent of solar shingles yet, although perhaps that can change in the future. Now, as to your roofing project, you mentioned that you have asphalt shingles, shingles on top of cedar shingles. I actually had a very similar roof. Because I have a very old house that was built in the 1800s, and uh, just about two years ago, we took off uh, that original layer of, of cedar shingle, which had been covered by asphalt shingles over the years, and it was in amazingly good condition. But we pulled it off, and then we resheathed the roof. So this this particular type of roofing project is an expensive project because usually cedar shingles are on top of furring strips, and you have to put plywood down over those furring strips to do it right. Your option is, of course, just to pull off the asphalt shingles and put another layer on top of the of the cedar, um, and you'll get more years out of it. Uh, but it won't lay, you know, as flat, clean, and, and nice as it should if it was on uh, proper sheathing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know all that. Uh, the local the local code is uh, you're going to have to go down to the uh, rafters, which means you're going to build up existing furring strip and the, the existing you know, the thicknesses. Well, what I would do is I would leave the furring strips in place and attach the plywood right to that. That's that's going to be a little less work. And, uh, you know, with an old house, it doesn't make sense to pull those off. Just leave those and put the plywood right on it. Al, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Linda, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? The house that we live in uh, was built in 53. It's ours. We've paid it off and trying to keep upkeep it and keep it in good shape. But in uh, between the dining room and the living room, apparently before we purchased it, there was a wall that had been removed. And the only sign is on the ceiling where the wall was removed, uh, there's a 
a double crack, like on each side of a two-by-four is what it looks like about that width, in the drywall. And I've tried use it's a uh, textured ceiling. They did we actually had knockdown put on it, but it uh, we can't fill the crack. We've tried to use drywall mud, and it just returns. What can I do to fix this crack? So this was opposite both sides of a wall that was torn out, so they must have slipped in some drywall to to patch it. Is that what you're thinking? Maybe. Maybe. So that's not the best way that's not the best way to fix that sort of thing. You can't like put a narrow strip in there and have it ever look like a normal ceiling. If you've got a hole like that where you pull the wall out, what you have to do is cut a bigger piece of drywall out, maybe about a foot or two on each side of it, uh, and you do that right on the edge where the floor joists are, the ceiling joists are in this case. Then you have a bigger seam to tape and spackle and secure and when the, if that's done well, then you're never gonna see it again. So you putting all of this spackle on it time and time again over all of this, you know, all of this period of time is is probably made more of a mess and it's kind of hard to fix at this point. So what I would tell you to do is to cut out that whole repair, put a bigger piece of drywall in, um, tape it, spackle it, prime the whole ceiling and then repaint the whole ceiling. And that would be the one to do the way to do this, you know, permanently. Otherwise, you're always going to see that. Okay. Thank you for telling me that. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Leslie, before my kids headed back to college after the holidays, I took some time to make sure their cars were stocked with emergency supplies because, hey, you never know, right? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you for that. And not even just for the winter, but year round. But here's a list of what you're going to need in your trunk for everyday travel and a bit of extra preparedness during a longer trip. First of all, you've got to pick up a good set of reflective triangles, flashlights, and flares. If you do have to pull over, put safety first and make sure that you can be seen. And this is also going to help a towing company or police find you in the dark. Next, you want to add jumper cables, a fire extinguisher, water, and a first aid kit. Now, those are basic items, and they can help you with so many roadside problems. Also, consider a tire inflator. You want to make sure that your spare tire is in the car and it's in working condition. You don't want to be in the middle of changing a flat only to realize that your spare is also flat or, quite frankly, not there. (laughs) Yeah, and if you do have to pull over, make sure you do so in a safe spot and make sure you're well off the road. Then stay with your car and wait for help. Dana and George is on the line with a mold question. How can I help you? I'm in Savannah, Georgia, where it's already hot and humid, and uh, we're already fighting mold a lot of the time during the, the warmer months. Um, right after Hurricane Matthew, it just seemed to go on, like, turbo, um, where, you know, I'm having to clean it off all the wood furniture and, like, some of the walls, and it's it's even coming out of, or was coming out of the vents um, from the um, AC heating unit. Um, so I just replaced those vents rather than try to clean them. Uh, and my question really is, you know, is there anything else I should be doing? And should I be concerned about my kid's health because of it coming out of the vents? It, well, I mean, not even it coming out of the vents. The fact that you've got this growing on the walls and furniture is a pretty serious problem. You you need, you have the scope of a problem where you need actual professional remediation help because it's so prevalent. Uh, the problem is that these, um, some types of molds, 
that kids and adults can have allergic reactions to. They produce microtoxins that can get out and make some people really sick. You know, I've known folks over the years who had, in fact, I had someone very close to me that I diagnosed this for because she had kids that had a really bad year of illness. Um, and what we noticed that when they went on vacation, they went away for like a month over the holidays and they felt great and they came back and they felt lousy. So it all turned out to be in a mold that actually got into the attic of this house that was finding its way back into the, into the living space through, um, holes around where the lights came through the ceiling. And so in this case, all of the insulation had actually had to be taken out of the attic and the whole thing had to be, um, sprayed and cleaned and then put all back together again. So if you got that that much mold in the house you've got to get to the bottom of it and i really think you need some professional help but what you want is someone who um, does occupational safety and health as a living as a profession you don't want you know the the latest johnny come lately the mold remediator guy has no professional training you want somebody who really has some skills and certifications from a consultancy basis um, to to get to the bottom of this i'm going to recommend a website and that website is mayindoorair.com may like the month may indoorair.com um, you will find books on that website by jeff may who's one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met about mold and indoor air quality. He has an interesting backstory. He was very, very allergic to mold, and it led him to a whole new course of study. He's written three or four books on mold, uh, including uh, some written for the Johns Hopkins University Press. So I think that would be a good source of information for you. And, uh, you know, he, he he's not from your area, but he may be able to recommend to you, uh, some contractors in that particular area, some consultants in that area that knows professionally. But uh, that's a good source for you to kind of get to the bottom of this, okay? Great. Thank you so much. Martin in Wisconsin's on the line with a question about a load-bearing wall. What's going on? I've got um, a wall between my kitchen and living room that I'd like to open up. And there's already a doorway there I'd like to open it up and make an open area. And the walls, it's a main support wall. So it's a structural support wall. I want to take out about 12, the span would be about 12 feet. There's a doorway there that's already four foot wide. And so about, I'm going to try and open up another eight foot of it. And I was wondering about like, like structurally, if I would be possible to put in like a micro limb. I think that's what they call them. Look, I, I don't recommend this project for the faint of heart or the inexperienced contractor because it's it's not the kind of job you should be doing as like, you know, your first foray into home improvement. I can explain to you conceptually how it's done, and let's assume that you have a bearing wall here and you need to disassemble that wall. So the way it is done conceptually is that there is a temporary wall built on both sides of the bearing wall that has to come out. So basically, you're you're building a load-bearing wall on one side of the wall that's coming out, maybe six inches or a foot away, and one wall on the other side. And then once those temporary walls are in place, then and only then do you disassemble the bearing wall. And in terms of that laminated beam, yes, once you put that beam in, it's got to be properly supported. So the ends of the beam have to be sitting on something like another part of the bearing wall so that the load is transferred down to your foundation. So again, it's really a pretty complicated project and one that has to be done right or the consequences are are pretty devastating. So it can be done, but it's a big project and it's not the kind of project I would recommend you tackle unless you have a lot more experience than it sounds like you have. Yeah, that was that's... Kind of my thought about it. I just thought I would uh, 
reach out to you guys. All right. Well, I think you're on the right path now. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, winter has arrived, and there's a good chance there's a room or two in your house that just won't get as warm as you'd like it to be, no matter how high you turn up that thermostat. Now, if you're looking for a solution that's safer and more permanent than a portable space heater, consider an electric heater. Yeah, they're more expensive to run than conventional gas or oil systems, but they are less expensive to install. And if you use them strategically, they can be a smart move. Now, there are a few types to choose from, but the two most common types are wall heaters and baseboard heaters. Now, electric wall heaters and electric baseboard heaters work the same way, but the difference is in how they deliver their heat. Now, an electric wall heater has got a fan, and that blows across the heated elements, where baseboard heaters, on the other hand, warm thin metal fins on the cover and then radiate that heat into the room without the use of forced air. Now, whichever one you choose, a lot of people really swear by their electric heaters. Just keep in mind that electric wall heaters or baseboard heaters require a separate electrical circuit often, and in many cases, you also need a permit to get that installed. So they use a lot of power. If you use them strategically, though, they can be a really good move for those super cold nights. All right, now we've got Sylvia in Pennsylvania on the line with a flooring question. How can we help you today? I am moving from Pennsylvania, moving further south to get away from the snow. I don't know if it will be South Carolina, Georgia, or Florida, but I am going to build myself a house, and it's going to be a small house. I'm wondering about in-floor heating, but I would like to have a terrazzo floor. So can you put in-floor heating and cooling in a terrazzo floor? So first of all, congratulations on your plan. That sounds really exciting. Secondly, in terms of the floor, first of all, the floor can be heated. It, it can't provide your cooling. You're going to have to have a central air conditioning system for that. I was, I was wondering about that because I was wondering too because cold settles and I'm thinking your floor would be cold but nothing else would be. So in terms of the heated floor, yes, um, there is a way to run PEX piping, which is a cross-link polyethylene hot water piping, um, through, through uh, underlayments that would go under tile. In fact, they make a specific type of plywood that's actually channeled out for this very purpose where the, where the plumbing sort of lays inside tracks in the plywood and then the mud floor or whatever you're using underneath the trouser goes on top of that. So certainly you can do that. It's a pretty big project, but if you're, you're set on having this kind of floor, you can definitely do it, but it will, it will, it will be more, a more expensive heating system than other types. I'm not really set on the terrazzo, but I was thinking of it, and because it would be easy to clean, uh, it would be just, uh, from living in Florida, I am familiar with terrazzo floors, and I just thought that, you know, it was a possibility. You know, I, I have not decided exactly yet. I'm just gathering information now. Yeah, the answer is you could put um, hot water heat through your floors pretty much with any type of material, uh, including that. So definitely an option for you, Sylvia. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Call us with your home improvement question at 1-888-MONEY-PIT or post it at the Money Pit's Facebook page at facebook.com slash themoneypit. That's right. Dina in Minnesota has written us, and she says, Do you know what would cause my pilot flame to keep going out on my gas water heater? Uh, yeah, dirty burner, most likely. Uh, it could also be a problem with the thermocouple. So let's talk about those two things. First of all, for a gas water heater, there's going to be a cover, like a flame cover, that's down at the bottom. And if you lift that out and kind of look at that burner as it starts... 
if it's not a really clear blue color, if it's got any orange in it, that orange flame is a sign of incomplete combustion that happens when you have a really dirty burner. So that might mean that it needs to be cleaned. Um, also, if it looks good, but like you say, it maybe it, it goes on and off inconsistently, that more likely is a problem with the thermocouple. And if you've ever had to start a gas water heater that didn't have like an electric ignition, there is a um, piece of wire that sort of sits inside the flame or like a metal bar that sits inside of the flame. That's the thermocouple. And basically its job is as long as it has a flame coming out of that pilot light, it lets the gas flow to the water heater. But if there's no flame, it stops the gas. So it basically is a safety precaution. But these thermocouples go bad from time to time and often need to be replaced. If you got a really old water heater, like 10 plus, I'd replace the water heater at that point. If it's less uh, than that, maybe if it's only, you know, two, three, five, seven years old, then I'd probably make that repair. Well, if you're constantly dealing with cables and cords and chargers in your home, Leslie has a solution to end that cable clutter in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. You know, guys, personally, I'm not a big fan of cords that can totally ruin the look of a room, but we all live in this age of technology, and you're not going to be able to do a lot without them. So why not embrace these cables? You know, there's a lot of interesting ways that you can create something fun. Um, do you guys watch uh, Making It? There's a fun show that's a crafting competition with Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, and they had one artist or crafter on the show who ended up, I won't spoil it, but she did really well, Um she created beautiful artwork with cables on the walls. So if you've got a lot of cables and a cable tacker and maybe some interesting different colors or you can buy some interesting looking extension cords that have that fun fabric texture to them, you can create artwork on your walls with these cables and with these cords using a cable tacker. Now, that's kind of a big commitment to embracing the use of these cords, but it's a fun way to have them front and center and in an interesting way. Now, if you're more like me and you want to kind of just make them go away, but still have access to them, but organize them nicely, there are cable covers that you can put everything sort of organized on the wall and then cover it with this cable cover and then paint that the same color of the wall. There are hollowed out backs of baseboards that you can go ahead and put the cables behind it and then cover it with the baseboard. You've got to think about how often you need to access these cables and that will sort of help with how you also hide them. Um, just, you know, label them, know what goes to what. This is especially helpful if you have to change out a piece of equipment or you're moving something to paint the room or clean the room. This will help you know exactly where everything goes. It's all about cord management, cable management, maybe having the courage to try something adventurous with using them as a display detail. Either way, let's get these cable organized. It's a new year. Let's start off fresh before like, you know, March when we have to do it all again. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show coming up next time on the program. If you've ever had a paint project that didn't dry right, maybe it wouldn't cover a stain or even peeled off faster than it should have, we're going to have solutions to these paint predicaments and more on the next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 